and uh, and so I uh, I was two months ago uh, I was in worship and uh, now I have not been traveling to preach I've been saying no to um, many many invitations every month and uh, we were in worship a couple months ago down in Alabama and the spirit of the Lord said Matty you need to get back to Fresno as fast as you possibly can and uh, and so I, I texted Andrew and said hey you know just I don't know what your vision is there at celebration but if there's any way that I could be a part of it you just you let me know I just want to serve what God is doing there and um, and I had this this sense of urgency that God is doing something in this city and God is doing something in this city right now. And I know that sometimes in prophetic culture, we get in this vein where God is always about to do something, right? That it's the, the revival's about to happen. The breakthrough's about to come. But I'm telling you, it's happening right now. Today is the day. Now is the appointed time. And so, uh, and so I... Uh, I just said, yeah, I'll come. You know, whatever it looks like. Whenever we can make it happen, I'll be there. So, so we sort of put this date on the calendar. And, uh, and then I started asking the Lord, okay, well, what is it you want to say? You know, the, I, I heard the urgency, and now we've opened the door. I've got a date on the calendar that I'm looking forward to. I'm going to be there in Fresno ministering. But what is it, Lord, that you want to say? And uh, something happened in our church just a, a few weeks ago that I think brought about, uh, that's the word, it's the word I used with Pastor Andrew yesterday, a, a shift for us. It, it, it took us into another gear. It, it took us into another dimension of intimacy with God. That if I'm, if I'm totally honest with you, I previously might have felt was illegal for us to access because I, I think I had too small a view of grace. And what happened is, is this, I, uh, we have services on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And uh, there's a woman who I still have not met, a, a woman who's friends with some people in our church. And uh, she has never come to the church because she's freaked out by charismatic stuff. She thinks we're going to pull out snakes and, you know. And, uh, and so um, she just, uh, she doesn't know about the charismatic style of things. The music's too loud. You know, people bump into her during worship and she doesn't like it. And so um, she had, had stayed away, but her marriage was failing. And she and her husband, after years of dysfunction, had decided that their, their relationship continuing was just untenable. And so they decided to, to part ways and it's been a good 20 years, but you know, we just, uh, we just can't make this thing work. It's, it's irreconcilable. So so they went to a lawyer and they talked through all of the details. They negotiated out who would get what in the divorce. Uh, the lawyer drew up all the paperwork and gave it to her and she went through it and she signed it and then she gave it to her husband. She'd been moved out of the house for quite some time. She gave it to her husband um, to sign. And, uh, and so he, he got it on a Tuesday and spent most of the day Wednesday reading through everything and making sure that it was filled out properly. And he plan that evening to bring it to the lawyer and to drop it off so the lawyer could file it and their divorce would be finalized. And, uh, and, and I'm, I don't think she could tell you why, but she's driving through our city and she 
drives in front of our church on a Wednesday night and she sees a bunch of cars in the parking lot and she just thinks, well, maybe I'll just go in. Who knows, right? What's the worst that could happen? And so she sneaks in after service has started and worship is going on and, uh, and she just, she kind of sneaks into the back corner. She doesn't want anybody to see her. She doesn't want to have to talk about what she's going through. And, um, and she sits down in a chair and she just listens to the worship and she watches the people dance and sing and shout to the Lord. And then after a little while, she finds herself beginning to cry. And then after a while, she finds herself kneeling on the floor and then laying on her face in the presence of the Lord. And, and that particular night, I didn't even end up preaching anything. We just, we caught a vein in, in, uh, in worship and we just went for a couple hours. And, and so uh, she just laid there in the presence of the Lord. And what happened in that place, what happened in that moment is that the Lord began to ignite a flame of hope in her heart for the redemption of her marriage, which by her own admission was beyond redemption. There's no way to bring this thing back. It's already dead. They're just going through the formalities. She's been moved out for months. There's no way. But she begins to think, what if? What if it didn't end like this? What if, what if this thing that has been dead for months, what if God could bring it back? She's laying there on the, the ground. And she begins to catch this glimmer of hope. Now she knows that it takes two to tango in a marriage, right? And her husband has already signed the divorce papers. He's on the way to the lawyer's office to drop them off. And so it's, it's, it's done. There's nothing that she can do, but she thinks, well, you know what? Maybe we'll just, we'll be friendly from here on out. We'll be amicable on the other side of our divorce. And then, uh, and then we'll just see what happens in the future, right? But what she didn't know, what she didn't know was during the two hours that she laid pouring her heart out to the living God in his presence in our church, that the, that the encounter she had with hope himself was also being poured out into the vehicle of her husband while he tried to drive to the lawyer's office. And he got halfway to the lawyer's office and looked down at these papers in the passenger seat and said, I'm not gonna do it. Because it may seem impossible to everyone else, but I, I think that with God, all things are possible. And so he called her to say, you know what? I think this is crazy, but what if we try it again? And she said, it might be crazy, but I'm with you. And she has since moved back into her house. They tore up the divorce papers. God has restored their marriage for his glory and their good. What we come on. What we've seen is the miraculous power of God sovereignly invading the broken lives of hurting people for their good and for his glory in a historic way. It's not because of great preaching. And come and sit in, in marriage counseling with somebody that, that had them read the right book at the right time. What happened is that she came into the presence of God. She put her heart into his hands and he reached into her situation and accomplished the impossible. And what's been happening over these last few weeks out in the, the mountains of East Tennessee, I believe is what God has put on my life to bring and, and, and as a deposit, as a gift to this house here in, in Fresno, California. I, uh, I think that what the Father is doing is he's bringing a revelation to the body of bridal identity. He's bringing a revelation to the body of what it means to see him not just as deity but as a lover provider and friend 
You know, we, a couple weeks after this happened in, in this woman's life, what we, uh, what we got on one day as, as we're journeying through God's word, we got into Hosea chapter two. And I, I just want to read this fast. I just want you to contemplate. I want you to meditate on, on what this means. Hosea chapter two, it starts in verse 14. It says this, he says, therefore, I, therefore behold, I will allure her. This is God talking about his people. He says, I will allure her. To give you some context, the Lord had, had called Hosea as a prophetic act to marry a woman named Gomer, a, a prostitute named Gomer. To give himself, to give his whole heart, to give his commitment and his devotion to, to a woman that, that he knew would not honor it or steward it right. And she, she, she yielded to the proposal. She said, yeah, I'll be your wife. And then she, she left him to go and chase after other lovers, she went back to prostitution and a harlotry. And this was a prophetic act. This was God's way of illustrating to his people the way that they've been acting. They've had a faithful husband and yet they've chased after other lovers. And so he has a plan. You want to know what God's plan is for a rebellious and adulterous people? It is to, to allure her. It's not to destroy her. It's not to condemn her. Hear me. It's not to reject her. It's not to cast her out. It's not to condemn her. He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. Allure. That's not a word we allow in church. That's a little risque for the pulpit, isn't it? And yet, here it is in Hosea 2.14. He says, my plan is to allure her. I'm going to captivate her. I'm not going to control her. I'm going to captivate her. I want you to understand, friend, that what God wants from you is not your mindless obedience. What he wants from you is your heart. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. Friends, I want you to know that if you, that sometimes maybe the wilderness isn't just a test to be passed. Maybe the wilderness is the jealousy of God bringing you away from every other voice vying for your attention. If, listen, if you feel like you're walking the path alone, I want you to know that might be the greatest gift God could ever give you. Because now finally all those, all those friends that used to speak their little opinions into your ear can't find a foothold anymore, right? All the other voices that were teaching you to compromise or to negotiate with God, the voices of doubt and unbelief and shame and condemnation, all of those voices get real quiet out in the wilderness. His plan, God's plan to allure you is to draw you away. The wilderness is the jealousy of God. He says, I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Listen, the valley of Achor, and I could go into the history of that, but the word Achor means like troubled or destitute. Now, how many of you know something about a valley of trouble? <laughs> Lord knows I do, man. I've got some valleys of trouble in my life. And God's prophetic word over you today is that he's going to give you the valley of trouble as a door of hope. Come on, hmm. yeah. The valley of trouble as a door of hope. And she shall sing there. That's the word. She's going to find her voice in the door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. He's going to teach you to sing like the day you first came out of slavery. Come on, do you, rem do you remember before religion got a hold of you? 
Do you remember before church culture got a hold of you? Do you remember when you were like one week removed from that drug addiction and you didn't care what nobody had to say about it? Jesus was going to be the center of conversation everywhere you went, right? You were going to dance like he really set you free because he really, really set you free. He's going to teach you to sing. As in the day when she first came up from the land of Egypt, he says, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me, listen to this, it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. It shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Do you hear that? This, this is offensive to every religious sensibility that we have. Everything in us that says that we need to conduct ourselves with dignity and God is God and we are, you know, wretches that he's had pity on. We're okay. We're okay with calling him master. We're okay with calling him Lord. We're okay with calling him God. But what about lover? Friends, I, I want you to hear this. There is a dimension of intimacy into which he's inviting you this morning that is beyond anything that religious culture has, has given you permission to explore. Here's, here's what I mean. In the story of the prodigal son, the son has, he's, he's betrayed his father. He's squandered his inheritance. He's ruined everything. He has no right to ask anything from his father. But the Bible says he came to himself and he said, he said, I, 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 how many of the servants in my father's house have food enough and to spare? And so I'll, I'll return to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. He's got it in his head. God would never accept me as family, and so I'll just relate to him like a slave. And he makes the long journey home, and what happens? The father doesn't even give him the chance to get through his speech. He, he wraps him up in a hug and he kisses his face and he puts a robe on his shoulders and sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger. He says, kill the fatted calf. My son was lost and is found. My son who is dead is alive again. This demonstrates the propensity of all of us who are in the family of God to convince ourselves that our rebellion has disqualified us from his favor and that could not be further from the truth. What an insult to grace and the sufficiency of the cross. You are welcome with him. You are welcome. You're welcome in his presence, man. You want to know what God dreams about? He dreams about the day that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Do you want to know what, what hope drove Jesus to the cross? It was that there would be a day that you would no longer call him my master, but you'd call him my husband. That you would learn that his love is infinitely more extravagant than you've ever begun to imagine. It is more relentless. It is more fierce. It is bigger and stronger and deeper than you've ever begun to comprehend. It shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me 
my master. He says, for I will take from her mouth the names of the bales, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant with them, with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things on the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth, and I will make them lie down safely. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. You shall know the Lord. This is what he's been after all along. The American church right now is full of people that know about him that don't have any real connection to him. This word know, he says, you shall know the Lord. That's the Hebrew word yada. That's the word used when, uh, when it says that Adam knew his wife and she conceived a child. I mean, he means like he wants you to really know him as intimately as you could possibly imagine and then some. He wants you to come beyond the confines of religious tradition. He wants you to come deeper than just reading books about him or listening to messages about him once or twice a week. He wants you to walk with him, to talk with him, to hear his voice, to feel his touch. He wants to share his heart with you. He wants to share his heart with you. You shall know the Lord. And what's the consequence? It says it shall come to pass. In that day that I will answer, says the Lord, I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain and with new wine and with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth. He says, then I will sow her for myself in the earth. But Pastor Randy spoke earlier about how as, as we give an offering to the Lord, that, that what we do is we actually prepare a way for Jesus to continue his redemptive work into the lives of our generation. Friend, I want you to understand that the the consequence of your communion with God is that he will sow you as a seed into the earth that bears fruit for generations and generations to come. He will take your life as an offering. Your finances, your faithfulness, he'll take your talents, your abilities, your resources, your opportunities. He'll take your time, your energy, your efforts and your ambitions and he'll bury them. And then he himself will send the rain and cause your life to bear more fruit than you could ever possibly have earned on your own. This is actually why I'm so excited and why my hope is that every single one of you will be here tonight at 6 o'clock as we gather to lay hands on uh, the missionaries that this church is sending into one of the most important mission fields of our time, and that is the American school system. You guys are sending missionaries into this brutal battleground of a mission field. And we need to stand behind them. Like if you don't have kids, it's okay. You need to be here. If you don't have kids that are in school, you need to be here to lay hands on somebody else's kids and to say, we stand behind you. We're covering you. We're cheering you on. This is bigger, man. This is bigger than just praying the kids don't get hooked on drugs while they're at school. No, no, no. This is about shaping the future. 
how do we get there, man? I mean, this is, this is ambitious, isn't it? It's like, you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Friends, it's, 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 like a, it's offensive to talk like that from the pulpit. It's, it's too much. It's too close. It's too intimate. And yet, there it is. And it's, listen, it's easy, I think, to come to church and to cheer and clap and say, yes, I want that. Lord, do it in me. But I, I feel like I would be robbing from, from you. I'd be missing an opportunity, I think, if I, if I didn't give you the practical strategy for how do we get there? What does it look like to position ourselves to be allured, to be captivated, to be drawn into the, the, the depth of intimacy, communion, and covenantal exchange to which he's called us? And so let me answer that question out of Matthew chapter 25. I get a, I think I left my bottle of water over there. Oh, there, look at you guys. Prepared for everything. Thank you. I thought this was for Tom. It's <laughs> good. Listen, we're going to get into, I want to go to Matthew chapter 25 and then we're going to lay hands on some people, I think. People are going to be the picture, see the Lord, this is uh, difficult for me because the Lord speaks to me in pictures more than words and I have to sort of fumble through it to describe what I'm seeing. What I'm, what I'm seeing is that he's bringing people out of the field and he's seating them at the, at the table. He's bringing people out of, he's bringing people out of the field and into the bedchamber this morning. Okay. There are people that you, you have been in church maybe your whole life content, perfectly happy being a slave and tonight, in this morning, maybe for the very first time, he's saying to you, I've made you for so much more. You've been serving, you've been working, you've been laboring, but I, I want you to know me as husband and not just as master. This is for you today. In fact, in fact, we'll, we'll give you the opportunity to come forward for prayer, but this altar is open. If you, if you don't want to wait till the end of my message, you feel free to just come up and do business with him. Let him let him allure you this morning. Is that all right? Come on. So Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven, in Matthew 25, starting in verse 1, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to, to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish, they took their lamps and they took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, there's John the Baptist's announcement. Come and see for yourself. The bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Behold. Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. See, they knew him as master. And they didn't know him as husband. Lord, Lord, 
open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So I want to go back through the story and draw a couple things out. There are 10, 10 girls. All 10 of them are virgins. And I think that should communicate something to us that all 10 of these girls had said no to other lovers. All 10 of these girls had saved themselves for the bridegroom, but only five actually got to know him. But only five ever actually came into communion or covenant with him. Let me, let me make it a little bit simpler for you. All 10 of these girls went to church. All 10 of these girls said no to drugs and to sex outside of marriage. They didn't say cuss words and they posted Bible verses on their Facebook pages. All 10 of these girls looked like they had it figured out. But five of them, the Bible says, were wise and five were foolish. And the, the five wise, they brought extra oil for their lamps to keep their lanterns burning if the bridegroom would be delayed. And, and his arrival was, was put off until late into the night. And, and that's exactly what happened. And so at about midnight, the announcement is heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And these five foolish girls, they're faced with a decision. Do we stay here with our empty lamps? Or do we leave to go and, and refill the oil? Now, I, I need to confess. Uh, I, I preached this message for years. And if I had to summarize the message that I preached, it was something like this. If you can't produce oil or manufacture fire, you might go to hell. And that's, if I'm honest, most of the preachers I know, when we read this, we just, we don't know what other conclusion to come to. And so for years I preached it and it felt like that's just not the gospel. But I, I don't know, I don't know what else this could say. And so I just put it on a shelf and I said, Holy Spirit, bring life to this whenever you, whenever you will. And, and so after years of reading this and waiting on an answer, I asked myself a really simple question. And that question was this, what does a burning lamp have to do with being a, a wife? And the answer is obvious. You're probably thinking it's going to be some serious scholarly pastoral answer. The answer is obvious, nothing. I mean, I don't think, Pastor Randy, that you, you said, Sharia, listen, I'm in love with you. You're the most beautiful woman I've, I've ever seen in my life. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But do you have a lantern? I know there's a, there's a list of things I wanted my wife to have. And a lantern full of oil was not even on the list. <laughs> but these five foolish girls, they woke up. They knew the bridegroom was coming and they looked down the road and they saw the, the five wise girls trimming their trimming the, the wicks and their lamps and lighting the fire 
to prepare themselves for the arrival of the bridegroom. And these five foolish girls, they, they had to deal with this voice inside of their own hearts that, that said, how could you come here unprepared? You look so foolish. You couldn't possibly measure up. The bridegroom would never want somebody like you. Friends, I'm convinced that the reason these girls were left out of the wedding feast was not because they didn't have oil in their lamps. I'm convinced the reason they were left out of the wedding feast is because when the bridegroom arrived, they weren't there. And here's what I mean. I wonder how many of us look at, at the oil on somebody else's life. We see the anointing they walk in. We see their boldness. We see their gift. Maybe we see the fire that somebody else has and they're so passionate and they're so articulate with the gospel and they can sing good and they can preach good and God uses them in such incredible ways and then we look back at ourselves and we think there's no way I could measure up. If that's the kind of person the bridegroom is looking for, there's no way he would accept me. There's no way he would want anything to do with, I don't have the oil that she has. I don't have the fire that she has. And so we're faced with the decision, what do we do? And so, so many of us, like the five foolish girls in Matthew 25, so many of us, we leave the place of devotion and we go back into uh, the, the market of performance. We go and try to find you know, the next Christian book or the next Christian podcast or the hot new preacher or worship album. We go and try to find something that makes us feel like we could measure up. I got to go enroll in some school of supernatural ministry somewhere. <laughs> got to go get a degree in pastoral studies or biblical theology, you know. I got to get some following, some traction you know I've, I've got to get some stuff figured out and then once I get my stuff figured out then I'll come back and the bridegroom will accept me then can I tell you what those girls should have done they should have curled up on the doorstep of the bridegroom and said I may not have the oil that she has but I'm not going anywhere I may not have the fire that she has but I'm not leaving. I may not measure up. I may not have anything to bring, but all that I am is yours. I'm staying right here. And do you wanna know what they would have found out had they done that? They would have found out that the bridegroom has got more than enough oil to go around, that he can light your fire better than you ever could. So we've been taught, man, religion has taught us year after year that we have to try harder. We have to get it together if we're ever gonna know him as husband. We've gotta clean ourselves up first. And I came to tell you the good news today that no one will ever clean you up like he can. No one will ever fill you up like he can. No one can ever transform your situation and set you on fire like he can. And so this morning, if you feel like you don't measure up, there's a place for you. It's the place of simple devotion. There is no plan B. Listen, could I get Tav and the band to come? I, I want you guys, listen, I, I want us to have an opportunity to respond to this because I feel like there's, I, I almost called it a call for you. I, think, I feel like there's a proposal for you this morning. 
I think that's a better word. I feel like there's a proposal for you this morning to, to, to lay down that thing in you that needs to get your stuff together before you put yourself in his hands. And, and to curl up on the doorstep of devotion and say, I don't just want to relate to you like a slave relates to his master. I want to know you like a bride knows her husband. And I know that I don't have what she has. I know that I don't measure up and I know that I haven't earned it. And I may not be as skilled or as gifted or as anointed or as bright as, as the person down the street or the person on the stage. But what I am with my lack and my issues and my struggles, what I am is yours. And that's all that I am and that's all that I ever will be. So if I could give you one thing, if I could give you one thing, if I could give you one thing this morning, it would be this. My hope and my prayer all day, all week, all month as I've been preparing for this has been that God would open your eyes to see him not just as God, not just as deity, not just as master, Lord, or king, but that God would open your eyes to see him as beloved husband, as your protector, as your provider, and as the lover of your soul. He's a faithful lover. He's a faithful lover. And so I, I want the opportunity, listen. I need the opportunity before we close here this morning for us to have a chance to respond to this proposal today. I think people are coming out of the constraints of religious tradition and coming into covenant communion with the king today. Coming out of a place where you just know about him and coming into a place where you know him for real. Would you stand up on your feet? Listen, some of you this morning are being, are being whispered to by the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I've got more for you. I've, you thought you knew me before, but I've, I've got more for you. Some of you have been holding God at arm's length saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get my stuff together. I'm not ready yet. I need to go get some more oil together. I need to go get some more fire in my lamp before I present myself to you. And I'm telling you, why don't you bring your mess to him today? Why don't you bring your lack to him today? Bring your empty vessel to him today. And you may not have anything to offer, but I'm telling you, if you will bring what you have, he might just turn your five loaves and two fish into more than enough to accomplish everything he has in need of. So come on, without, without delay, if you feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit calling you into another dimension of intimacy, come forward now. Come to this altar now. Come to this altar now. Come to this altar. Come on. This is, this, is where, this is where the wedding is made official, at the altar, right? We walk down the aisle to the altar into a lifelong covenant with our husband. This is the day, this is the day, this is the day that you come out of a paradigm of relating to God like a slave does a master, and you come into a place where you no longer call him my master, but you call him my husband. Come on, as you walk down this aisle, I want you to understand as you walk down this aisle, in doing so, you're declaring, I forsake all others for as long as I shall live. That I give myself fully to him.
I give myself fully to Him and only Him. With my issues, with my struggles, with my insufficiencies and inadequacies, I bring it all. I may not have it figured out, but but I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going anywhere, and I believe my bridegroom is able to fill up every empty space in my soul. Oh, we declare, I declare right now, God, that every heart that you're drawing in this moment would be awakened to the revelation of the bridegroom king. Let us see you for who you are and your wild and reckless love for us. Let us see your passion. Awaken our hearts. Awaken our hearts. Awaken our hearts, God, not just to know about you, but to know you, but to know you, but to know you, to come deeper into intimacy. of your love. God, we surrender this morning to the alluring love that you're lavishing on us today. Come on, I declare grace for captivation right now. He's gripping your heart. He's gripping your imagination. Oh, come on. The days of performance are over. Days of performance are over. It's time to take your mask off. You never bought it anyway. Come on. Come on, right now. Right now. Right now. He's captivating you. Well, we're trading consecration for captivation this morning. I hear the Spirit saying we are trading consecration for captivation this morning. That the energy and the effort that you put into getting your life in order, that right now, that the act is just an act of surrender yourself down in the arms of your bridegroom king and to say you carry me to the place that I could never have gone to on my own come on right now Yahweh I release the revelation right now Yahweh I release the revelation come on fill their lamps this morning pour your pour out the oil of your anointing on their lives this morning and light their fire come on light their fire light their fire light their fire never do in ourselves. We come to you again. We curl up and lay ourselves down at the doorstep of simple devotion and say if you can't do it in us, it just won't be done because all we are is yours. Beloved King. Lover of our soul, Yahweh, we bless you. We honor you. And we exalt you today. Thanks for listening. If this impacted you and you'd like to partner with us, go to celebrationchurch.cc give to help us reach people with the message of Jesus. 